The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm excited to welcome Michael McCreary, who is the CEO and founder of Pure Spectrum, to the podcast today. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Seema. Glad we could make this happen, even during times of COVID. Yeah, I've officially made it. Now I've made it on your podcast. <laughs> you are officially famous. No, you were famous before this. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you have had such a great experience and journey within our industry. Just give listeners a little bit of background as to how you got here. Absolutely. So it's probably going on 17, 18 years since I actually got into market research and data collection. Okay. And I got the last jump before I got onto here. I actually worked at Meredith Corporation in their direct response advertising group. And I had the pleasure of repping Midwest Living, which is a wonderful magazine, kind of like Sunset for the West Coast and Southern Living for the South. But it wasn't the easiest sell to the agencies because the whole flyover state sort of stigma. Sure. So even though it was a like great magazine, we, I had to use tons of data to be able to support the claims of, well, look at, you know, our readers have higher income. They have more disposable income. They own more homes. So I got really comfortable using the syndicated data. And, you know, as I was, this was probably early 2000s, 2002, 2003. You know, I could kind of see the handwriting on the wall that, you know, print advertising was going to have some pretty tough days ahead of it. And someone that I knew just not from work was Keith Price. I think every, you know, probably everybody knows him. We all know him, yes. And this was in the very beginnings of Greenfield Online really taking off. And he said, well, you know, hey, we just raised some money and we just separated out from this other business unit and we're looking for salespeople. Yeah, what do you think about sample? And I was like, well, I, I love samples at the grocery store. And he was like, no, you idiot. Yeah, this is, <laughs> I had to explain what it was. So I took the leap and you know that was how I got into sample was initially at Greenfield, which is for now, since I've been so long, people don't know that that was actually acquired by Taluna. But yeah, that was the jump point in. And I have really, really enjoyed it ever since. I just find the umbrella of the insight industry in general to be filled with really, really intelligent and great people. It's intellectually stimulating and to know that the work that we all participate in, whatever part of the food chain we're in, whether you're a sample or you're a data collection platform or you're an agency or consultant, that you're helping to solve business issues or, you know, economic issues or even um, social issues, that the work that we do is actually providing data and insights to help things you know, get better. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the concept of informing and helping companies and government and organizations make critical decisions is incredibly valuable, especially now. And also the intellectual curiosity, like there's, you never stop learning, which is such a fascinating part of our industry. Absolutely. Totally agree. 
So you have a phrase, I understand, that you needed to decide to be an entrepreneur versus a want want to procure. I'm not saying that right. How do you say it, Michael? One? A entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so I'll give the definitions first, right? A entrepreneur is somebody that constantly talks about wanting to be an entrepreneur, right? Oh, I want to start a business. I want to do this versus an entrepreneur, which is someone who actually attempts it, right? And doesn't necessarily mean that an entrepreneur has to be super successful, but to take the jump point, as I tell people, to decide not to have a paycheck, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm going to go do something where everything starts at zero and I'm going to try to make it become something. And I admit that probably most of my life I've been a entrepreneur, right? I've always talked about, oh, I want to start a business. And it wasn't until, you know, we're looking back into 2006 that, you know, I had some wonderful experiences at some very, very forward thinking companies and been in leadership roles. And, you know, I just had to make the decision of, is literally like, am I going to do this? I'm not getting any younger. You know, I'm in my 40s and I have experience. And if you don't try now, then you're going to forever be a entrepreneur. So that was, you know, a big choice to make because I'm married. I have three children, I have a mortgage. And to take that risk of, you know, most of the time these things don't work out. And then do you have to come back with your tail between your legs and, you know, start job seeking to, you know, go get a job. But, you know, even if that would have, if it had gone that way, I think I would have been unsettled and dissatisfied that I didn't try, right? So I just to do it is the hardest thing. It's like to make that choice to like, oh, I'm not going to go take a job. I'm going to start something. How long did it take you to actually make that shift? Because it is a tough decision. I mean, you know, you're risking so much of, you know, what you're used to in terms of your day-to-day life and the risks that you take and the ups and downs when you start a company. Yeah. So I probably thought about it in a lot of different ways for going on six months, right? Between where I was prior and, and making that choice and actually looked at both options, you know, joining other companies, coming in to help, you know, smaller companies grow and really, really like kind of toiled back and forth. And, and I just remember there was just a point where, my, you know, I was speaking with my wife, who's, you know, even though I get all this like front, you know, status of being here, like she's always been there in the, you know, supporting me and giving me the, you know, the support at home and the moral support and covering a lot. Yeah. Some of the days are pretty tough, you know, not still today. I mean, she was just like, just go for it. Like you've helped other companies go from very small to traction, you know, just go for it. It's okay. No matter what, we're going to be able to pick ourselves up. So just go for it. I think that's such a big part of entrepreneurship is to have that support, that consistency that, you know, it's independent of what your success or failure is, but you have that ecosystem that's incredibly supportive. Could not agree more. I also find like, you know, entrepreneurship, it plays with your ego in so many ways. And so something that I continue to focus and strive on is just being humble and kind and remembering like the basic values of life, regardless of success or failure, which, you know, it's hard to do with the ups and downs, especially with the early days. Early days were so tough, Seema. Mm-hmm. I cannot. My only advice is that, you know, no matter how fun it can be at times, it was so hard. Yes. 
And we refer to the first year as the dark year. Yeah. You know, it's like you've been in an industry for so long. You think, oh, I'm going to announce my business. It's going to be so successful. Everybody's going to be faxing, you're not faxing, but emailing me orders, you know. They're going to accept me. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And then you come to realize that even doing business with a new business presents a ton of risk for people. You know, like it was like, oh, well, I would love to work with you, but, you know, can't have my stuff fail. And it was so hard. I mean, it's just in the five years, because I've been working on this since the beginning of 2016, 2016 was kind of easy because it was like trying to help, you know, guide like what's the technology going to be? What, who are we going to be? And right. it was very abstract and things that I don't actually know how to do. Like I couldn't tell you what an API structure call looks like. I didn't, that stuff's foreign language to me. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, we're live. Let's go. I know how to do sales. Right. I know how to do that. And then it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, you might- and you're out there. You're out there. There's no nothing to hide behind. You know, there's nobody to say, "Oh, well, this company is just something you created." And you know, it's it's like you're dragging a piano. Mm-hmm. Just like trying to run as fast as you can, and like it just doesn't work. And they're running on ice. You know, like you're just trying and trying. But it did finally. Yeah, we got traction. And some people think it was very early traction, but it felt like it took forever. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I still recall going to conferences like year one, year two, year three. And by year three, people were like, oh, you're still in business. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, maybe I can buy from you. <laughs> yeah, that whole ego trip. Like for me, this has never been an ego boost, right? This has been humbling the whole way. Yeah, right. This is like, let me take you down, right? Exactly. Yeah. So tell us more about what Pure Spectrum does. Would love to do that. All right. So at its foundation, my time in the industry has basically been on the sample, online sample and data collection side. The business was all about having the word is programmatic, right? Not everybody understands these words, but it's basically the ability to have multiple different panel and sample sources that are connected in one platform. And it sounds, you know, not even novel at this point, but it's incredibly complicated and, and nuanced because you have all these different technology connections to suppliers and they all have their nuances and strengths and weaknesses. But the whole focus for us, SEMA, was I wanted to make sure that this platform was simple and easy to use so that even a person like me, right, could actually log in and say, I need to buy a thousand completes and I need to have these audience and these quotas and then launch it really quickly. Because a barrier to usage and barrier to adoption in sample that has historically and it still does have a tremendous amount of reliance on service. There are people who know how to do it. They have the technology to do it. We wanted to be able to make a platform that anybody, whether you worked at a research agency or you worked at a small brand or you worked at a big brand or it didn't matter. Like there is no user guide, right? There's not a user guide. It's like, okay, log in. Okay, start. Okay, deliver. So that is the main, main, like, you know, how we make money is people buy sample from our platform from a variety of different sources. We also have been really focused on how to improve the efficiency and automate the entire data collection process from not necessarily programming, right? But how do you take programs of research or products of research and how do we help other companies, right? Not us, but other companies take ANU or concept tests, their methodologies 
and create their own version of automated products so that, you know, it's oddly enough, Pure Spectrum does, we don't have any survey programmers, but we've programmed hundreds of surveys because we know how to build systems that can you hit, you know, input the specs and it automatically programs, automatically collects data and automatically produces the visuals and images and reports that the specific agency wants to do. And that business we call storefront, right? Because we don't actually have methodology or we don't have products so we're helping other agencies create their own storefront, yeah, which is you know how we kind of came up with that name. And you know that business has taught us a ton about you know just all of the different disparate pieces in our technology ecosystem, from data collection to reporting packages. And then we are fortunate that we have this automated sampling platform that you can plug all these things together and really, really change the trajectory of speed and time that this stuff can be done. And if you're a business owner, the cost as well, because, you know, the, as you know, if you have programming services, you know, you have idle time, like you don't always have a job to do, but if you have this, you know, do the work to build this product and you press a button and it programs it in a half of a second, you know, however fast the API can deliver the programming instructions. So I believe that, you know, we provide a tremendous value to a number of agencies. We typically don't even say who the agencies are because that's not our business. You know, it's their ability to say, we have this suite of automated research products and we just sit in the background and empower them. So they can white label your services if they want to. And yeah. you guys are in front of that. Correct. So there is no, like, we wouldn't be part of their brand at all. It is not even white label. It's just no label. It's their label. Sure. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in the field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies. Whether it comes to sampling, programming, and hosting services, or consultation and collaboration, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Learn more. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. So it sounds like you're extending further on the value chain. It's not just the data collection piece and the mark, you know, the place where people can come and procure sample. You're also enabling agencies to automate their own research and from programming collection to visualization. Absolutely. And then not everybody has a, what I would call a a repeatable method that they want to have. So we work with other large agencies just to help them take their entire suite of programming and then use those same types of integrations so that things become incredibly efficient for them where we program, launch samples, sync audience and quotas, collect. And it just, it removes a lot of human labor, error, intervention. And I'd say the total honesty, it's really hard to achieve that goal, right? So what we found is that there are operations leaders or, you know, COOs of companies totally get it. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, if we invest six months in operational efficiency using technology, then the gains that we'll get in the ROI on that over time will be reaped, you know? They get it, Mm -hmm. but it is not an insignificant lift. It's not like, okay, go program survey, collect data, give data back. You know, it's like, it's an investment. It's a system wide investment, operational investment. Yep. So yeah, we can only do so many at a time too. You know, these are, I would say it's not the most scalable piece to business, but it's super like, you know, our customers that do this, they get tremendous value. That makes sense. And what need do you think you're fulfilling? So agencies are 
leveraging you to collect data. And sometimes they might use your storefront. What need did you fulfill in the marketplace when you launched Pure Spectrum? And, and has that changed over time? Because as the market shifts, you know, companies pivot and reposition. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, I, you have to think about the different elements of the value chain. Mm-hmm. So if you're an agency, you know, there are some speed and cost uh, benefits that we can bring to them. We know that we're not the only option out there, right? So, you know, we know that we have to compete to get people to use our UI or our APIs for this. But I think our focus has been really more on we want to be able to go to the agencies that would like self-serve and would like cost benefits of not having all the labor involved because the labor is part of the cost when you're buying, you know, a full service project. So I know our customers have told us, you know, this is great. It helps our bottom line. We like the control. We like the transparency. So that's a benefit. It's interesting. I, one of the places I worked before was uh, Scent and I adore Bo Matson. He's just such a funny character and such a smart guy. And when I first started this and eight months later, I called him just to check in. I asked him for advice, which he willingly you know, gave me just some support advice. And he said, Michael, in his Swedish, you know, the fact that you exist is valuable because markets need competition. And that makes every other company that is vying for the same business perform better services and be more innovative. So, you know, it's like you are because you are, you know, because you are an offering, it's a value to the entire market. And so you can go down to the supplier chain, you know, where, you know, there are a number of suppliers that will never engage in a marketplace. You know, they're just not going to. The heavily militarized, massive sales forces, massive operation centers, you know, it's just like, no, nope, we know how to get the customer. We're, we don't want anything between us and them. And then you have this middle group that have multi-channel. They would, they're willing to sell through a platform. They're willing to you know, sell direct. Yep. And many of them have their own self-serve tools, which are wonderful. But to create another channel for them creates an opportunity for them. Yeah. And I think it also, not one size fits all, there's personas out there, right? There are people who want the high touch, who want, you know, that it's traditional research methodology in terms of sample blend, understanding the nitty gritty detail to be able to support their clients. But I do think that there's other personas that are like, I want this really quickly. I want it efficient. I want it to be able to, you know, not pay a huge amount of money for it. Would you agree with that? So it's not even that it's a person that is binary, one or the other. We have, you know, companies that, you know, they can't actually, they don't feel comfortable self-serving on certain types of projects because it's too big or too complex. And we've always likened it to, you know, if you have a really big project and you're self-serving, we're still going to be here to help you, right? Like, it's not like you call us like, well, I don't know, what's the UI telling you? Yeah, we're going to be there to, <laughs> to help them. But, you know, there are, I do think that there are a growing number of either larger companies or even the brands or corporates, which we, we don't really do much there, that want a full service solution. You know, especially at that level where, you know, the corporate research departments have been hit really hard. And the concept of them actually taking on more labor to do this work, well, they don't even have the time for it. It kind of goes back to like occasions, right? In consumer packaged goods, like when do you buy fast food versus when do you eat at a restaurant with tablecloths? Exactly. It depends on what the use case is of the research. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't ever think of it as a, a customer is that everything that they do should be self-serve. Mm-hmm. It's just, we know it's not true. 
But you know, even some customers who say, well, we will never self-serve. Well, what about the easy stuff? You know, like why do you need to wait on somebody to get back to you? Why do you need to have a project manager for a thousand completes gen pop? Like it's unnecessary. So I think that message resonates and you know, the complexity level and risk level associated with getting the job done right is probably the biggest driver. Very true. So let's fast forward. What does success look like for you in five years? I think every time I've had these little checkpoints in my career with Pure Spectrum as well. And I mean, if you had asked me three years ago, it would have been different than it is today. I can tell you that right now, I so I am enjoying running this business and working with the people at this business so much. You know, yes, we're having success, we're growing, that's always fun, but there's good people here. And so I probably would have told you two years ago that the age of 50, which is only four years away from here, that I would want to be optional to be operating a business, you know, and to be able to have some flexibility there. But I, if you were to ask me today, I'm like, you know, what? I don't know, but I, it'll probably seem, it'll probably be when I, I'm not enjoying it. Right. Right. Or when I don't think I'm the right person to run the company anymore, mm -hmm. that it's at a scale that maybe I'm not doing a good job and it would be better for somebody else to run the business than me. And you know, that'll probably be hard to pry that out of my hands. But as I tell people, you know, this is my first time to be a founder and a CEO. I'm learning on the job, just like many of my employees are learning things on the job. And, you know, until I believe that I'm in over my skis, I'm going to keep trying to enjoy it. So I know this is kind of goofy, but as long as I keep enjoying it, I'll, I'm going to probably want to do it. Right. And if there is some, you know, wonderful, you know, outcome where somebody wants to, you know, pay a lot of money for the business, you know, great. If not, that's great too. You know, it's fine. You know, I enjoy work. And I also doubt, you know, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I doubt that I, you know, the whole concept of lightning doesn't strike, you know, the same spot twice. Right. You know, this was my first attempt. It's gone better than I expected. Mm -hmm. So I'm very humble and, and happy and fortunate for that. Okay. So Michael, I'm doing something new. You are the first one. I'm going to try it on. It's called About the Numbers. Oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> Guinea pig time. Okay. Are you ready? I'm going to just ask you a question that's numbers related and give me your best answer. Um, is this going to be like a math quiz? No, 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 no. Number of completes thus far on your platform? Lifetime. To date, year to date. We just had our first month where we did over a million completes. So and we were, I'd say this year, we're probably, you know, just at the 9 million. You know, it's because every year, like we kept saying like, when are we going to break through? When are we going to break through? And that just happened a couple months ago. That's amazing. Congratulations. Number of people at your company. So that number is changing because we have been hiring. Mm -hmm. There are 31 employees in the US. There are now 13 in UK to Romania. I'm losing count here. The number is about 65. Years in business. I think you start. You told me this, but go ahead and say it. I mean, if you want to call 2016 being in business, you can, but we're coming up on our fifth anniversary of me deciding to start the business. Operating, we're coming in our fourth anniversary. That announcement went out October 2016. Awesome. Okay, last question for you, Michael. What is your biggest takeaway thus far in your journey and your career? I think it's you just have to be humble and genuine. And this particular part of the journey, you know, some of the people probably roll their eyes because I say this all the time. But speaking of dilution, right, I talk about dilution of talent. As the company, like I handpicked people to join the company in the first year or two. 
interviewed everybody. And now everybody else that does hiring, I don't even get to interview every candidate at this point, which, you know, most of them I do. Mm-hmm. You know, this company has great technology and it has, you know, great branding, has all these great things that are kind of non-human. Right. But the number one thing that's valuable about this company are the people that work for it and their passion. And, you know, so my learning, right, it's funny because I always, want the, in my entrepreneur phase, yes. I would probably just wanted control less than wanting to start a business. I just, I don't know. I'm not really good at taking direction. A bad employee, I guess, is what you could call me. But now that like I do have, you know, founder, CEO, mm-hmm. I rarely want the control, right? Like we have incredibly, like you got David Butler, an incredible job. If I were to tell him what to do and it wasn't his way of doing it and his idea, how's he going to really get you know, behind, I mean, he'll do it because he's supposed to, or Mark Menig, right? And, you know, like, these are super talented, smart people. And if, like, if you give people the opportunity to really, really swing above their weight class and to have autonomy and accountability, yes, then you can get a lot more out of people than if you try to control dictate it. So at the end of this whole ramble, right, my learning is that as you kind of like further in your career, it's just that you've got to have the right people and you got to let them do the job and, you know, make sure is the next layer and the next layer show up that you maintain the, the non-dilution of talent, right? Because they're not part of that original founding story when they join five years later. Yeah. And I, I think that's why it's so important to have that initial talent there because they represent your values and, you know, what you believe is important. And then you propagate that through the other hires within the company. Try to. Yeah, I know. It's not easy. I mean, that's the hardest part, I think. Yep. Right? Michael, thank you so much for taking the time today. really appreciate it. It's always nice to catch up and chat. The pleasure. And congratulations on all your success. Thank you. I wake up every day thinking, how do I not screw this up? So <laughs> it was a pleasure, Seema. Thanks for inviting me. Can't wait to at some point see you in person again. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.